Welcome to the Far Shore, everybody. I'm James. Hey, everybody. I'm Andy, and uh, it's nice to be back after a week. A week off. A week off. An unexpected week off. Yeah. I I can't even remember why now. Um, I can't remember why either. So, but until (laughs) Apple Podcasts start paying us the big bucks, uh, I think every so often, every so often, our work and our lives get in the way of our podcasting extravagance. So, yeah. That's right. So sorry if you were if you were waiting by your phone uh, re- religiously on whatever whatever day it is that we eventually put up our podcast. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Someday, <laughs> sometimes between Friday and Monday. That's that's kind of right. how we yeah. how we work right now. So. <laughs> anyway, good to be back. You doing all right? It is good to be back. It is. It is. Um, and you know what? We're we're kicking things off with with a bang. If this is. You know, if you missed a week, we're really, really getting stuck into some uh, meaty, meaty stuff this week. Mm, yeah, mm, indeed, indeed. So we're tackling the the issue of church culture, and uh, yeah, and I had a good discussion uh, with a friend of mine called Dave Montoya, and he is the leader of a church called North State Church in Chico, California. He's a church planter, and um, it's funny, Andy. This is kind of the best way to describe it is if you put a listening bug in my house and there was two friends just kind of sitting there having a chat about church culture, that's probably more what this is than a, than a straight interview. Right. Yeah. It's a conversation. A conversation. Yeah. And I've known Dave, as I think as we say at the beginning of the interview, we've known him for a long time and there was many Sunday evenings he would sit on my couch and we would sit there and commiserate with each other uh, with the state of the the American church and uh, ideas to help change things or move things forwards. So, right. and and like all my friends, Andy, uh, you're all optimists. So uh, <laughs> I seem to I seem to attract optimists as friends, being being the cynical pessimist that I am. Opposites, opposites attract, and all that. Kind opposites of thing. attract. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, but it's funny. I think before this interview gets gets underway, there's. A couple, I guess one big statement I want to make, and that is, you know, we are, and we we talk about this, we do make some kind of blanket statements about some of the issues in the American church. Mm. And listening back to it afterwards, there's nothing that I would disagree with, but I would say that, you know, not every church has every one of these issues. Right. Um, I think there are some good kind of key issues uh, that flow through many churches. Mm. Um. And I think as well, it's not just the American, or we're talking about the American church, but I don't think it's just the American church that, that struggles right. with, with many of these issues. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I, I, I listened to the bit we're going to play today while I was going around my local supermarket uh, the other day. And it was great. I was laughing out loud um, <laughs> in some places. And it was true. You know, obviously, I'm not in America. And you guys were talking a lot about the American church. But a lot of what you said, I did, I could see even in the Brazilian church. Uh, and also, you know, back in, back in, back in the UK as well. Uh, but like you say, obviously, you, you guys are talking very generally. Uh, and so not every church is like this, but I, I would I would encourage people to listen with an open with an open mind and see whether you recognize any of, you know, any of these things that you guys talk about, whether you recognize any of them in your own church as well. Yeah, sounds good. And just so you know, this is going to be a two parter. 
Uh, me and Andy figured, yeah, two-parter. Me and Andy figured that there's quite a lot of content in this. So this first part, part one of this uh, duology, uh, we're mostly <laughs> talking about the kind of negative side of things. We're talking about the issues. Uh, part oh, two is coming next week. Uh, I've got to come up with some fancy names for this, but part two next week, we'll start talking about kind of what do we do? If we feel this way, if we're feeling down and depressed about the church, what can we do? Uh, so more more of a hopeful episode next week. So you will find that kind of it it, it, it ends at a cliffhanger and uh, you'll have to tune in next week uh, to, to see how it all ends. All right. Looking forward to it. Okay, let's get into it. Okay, welcome to uh, the Far Shore, Dave. It's it's really good to have Dave Montoya with us today. Uh, Dave is a church planter of North State Community Church in Chico, California. And Dave and I have had the pleasure, well, at least it's been my pleasure, Dave. I don't know if it's been your pleasure, but it's been (laughs) my pleasure uh, to know you for for a number of years. We first met in Paradise, California, oh, back in probably 2012. Yeah. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, we've we've done some projects together, um, got some small groups, things up and running, and uh, been friends for a long time. Um, and what we're discussing today has kind of been an, an on and off conversation for us. Uh, we are known for being long-winded, so <laughs> today today we'll try our best to be uh, concise. And uh, today we're going to be talking about this kind of big issue of of church culture of uh the american church culture and kind of where where it's heading and and what we can do about it um so dave maybe before we get into it uh, maybe give us i i mean i i've introduced you as being a church planter but maybe give us a bit of a background because you've had quite a quite a long exciting life uh, so maybe <laughs> just give us a quick kind of overview of of dave montoya up to up to where you are now yeah, sure. Um, because, yeah, that does play into this discussion. Um, became a Christian back in the 70s during the Jesus movement, which, you know, which was a mixed thing. Um, you know, in some ways that was a raw, um, great time, but I was involved in a, in a group that was very fringy, uh, very unhealthy. So I experienced evangelical Christianity in its zeal but in its great unhealth and and then i that's a long story in itself but got out of that and sort of made my way into what i would call sort of normal churches <laughs> um but then that began you know i went to college and pretty much was involved in ministry like as a college student became a missionary with my wife met my wife married her we were missionaries for three years in europe um in ireland and just college students um, and then came back uh, from that and was in student ministry again at a church in, in Davis that we were college students at, became a college pastor, um, did that for 10 years and then came up to the Chico area of Paradise um, and was an adult ministries pastor. So did that for another 15 years. So my point being that for those 30 years was part of what I would call the sort of evangelical subculture. Um, It wasn't whacked out like that group I was in, which made me think it was good and fine and healthy and normal, but really along the way have struggled, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, with the evangelical church 
And that finally came to a head when I, I went out to Omaha to a church out there just recently uh, to a really large church and finally came. Um, I mean, you and I had conversations while I was still in, in Paradise, Chico area, uh, struggling with the American church at a certain level and which led to my leaving, not not talking with you. You didn't drive me out, James. <laughs> um, but um, but went to this other church, and that really just brought clarity because it was like if this this church was doing everything that every evangelical church I was in always aspired to do, and I saw it in all its glory, and finally went, no, this isn't this isn't it. I mean, good good people, well intentioned, but just kind of really um, summed up all the stuff that I'd had a problem with, which led to long story, but short led to just actually uh, doing it, you know, pairing up with another couple and doing a, a kind of a church plant here back in the Chico area. So when you said that the things that kind of you were becoming upset with, maybe start with one, what's kind of one key thing that kind of over the years that you noticed that, kind of led to your disillusionment um i think a good way to sum it up i think a lot of associate pastors would would uh identify with the idea that you get into ministry to do ministry and somewhere along the way you're doing something else <laughs> you know you got into it because of people you just wanted to 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 be to be a pastor especially pastors you know like a lot of pastors get into, especially get associates, get into it because they want to pastor people. They want to shepherd souls. But the American church machine, since the church, particularly since the church growth movement got going, uh, has turned into a machine, a very deep, so a, an impersonal, depersonalized, organizational, uh, hierarchical, um, personality-driven, crowd-focused uh, um, uh, depersonalized, basically the loss of um, the focus on the on the on the person, and all all again good into all dressed up with good Christian language and and, and stuff, and and honestly often with good intention, but um, pastors cease being pastors, and so as a, as a pastor, I always I, I looking back on it, I would say I, I mean I, I felt this, but I couldn't maybe put words to it. But putting words to it now, I would say I was schizophrenic, trying to sort of do ministry, real ministry in the midst of my assigned duties. Mm -hmm. You know, what I was, what's on my job description, um, dressed up in Christian language really was a lot, lot, a pastor as program director, pastor as performance artist, um, not pastor as shepherd of souls. Yeah, yeah. And what for you just defining what, when you're talking about shepherd of souls, what 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 to you, what is the role there? Because, you know, if you, maybe we need to define, maybe we need to just take a step back there when we're talking about the idea of the role of a pastor of a leader, because I think this is it. One of the one of the key things, uh, one of the key problems I have, too, is uh, the way the church is led. Um, so so what what for you do you mean by a shepherd of souls? Yeah, I, I think this shepherd image is a great one. It's biblical um, and it's on purpose. I mean, of all the images, of all the metaphors God could have used, he, he doesn't compare pastors to military leaders. He doesn't compare them to 
you know, business leaders. He doesn't, he, he the, the comparison is a shepherd. Uh, he calls himself a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, pastor. The word pastor means shepherd. Um, I, I'm actually uncomfortable in some ways with the word leader. I mean, and, I, it, and it's a reaction, I, I will say. I don't think the word leader in itself is a bad word. But in Western culture, especially American culture, it's taken on so much baggage. Whereas a shepherd, and a shepherd leads for sure, but they lead in a very specific, so back to roles and stuff. There's a reason shepherds were looked down on back then. It's because they were dirty and and they hung out with sheep all day. <laughs> you know, it was an unglamorous uh, job, um, but it was also very um, connected to the sheep. Like um, they didn't lead from an office. They didn't, you know, they were, they, they were with the sheep, sometimes in front of them and oftentimes behind them and oftentimes in the midst of them. And and, and taking on the dangers that the sheep, um, they're right out there with them, you know, um, leading in a specific sort of way, um, not as commanders, not through coercion, not through um, that sort of thing, but with a care and also a very individualized care. You know, the idea of leaving the 99 for the one means that shepherd, you know, the idea of knowing your sheep, um, actually, actually knowing people um, so the very personal, the very relational, um, it's not an organization. Sheep, yes, they're a flock, but they're, that we don't call it an organization. We don't call a flock an organization. It's a group, it's a, it's a bunch, but they're not viewed as just a flock. In fact, that's an interesting distinction people have made between a flock and a herd. You know, when cattle drivers drive, drive their cattle to market to be butchered or whatever, you know, it's, it's a very impersonal thing. Whereas shepherds, um, especially in the in the Middle East, it wasn't so much for food as for their wool and stuff. It was in their interest to take care of every sheep um, and, and keep them healthy and, and take care of each one. Yeah. Um, not the not the crowd. Oh, you lost a few. Who cares? Who cares? You know? Yeah. And it's funny using those analogies. I think, you know, people that are involved uh, with uh, the church here will kind of recognize that kind of mentality happening. Um you know, we're very much about venerating our pastors or our leaders here too. Um, yeah. I always think, you know, like the idea of being in a, a large church and being known uh, by a pastor is something a lot of people, have, you know, attain to. They want to be known. Uh, so, but, you know, oftentimes our churches are very large here um, and, you know, it, it's not possible to be known. You know, I think for me, the good picture is always like, uh, especially the lead pastor, you may see them up on stage on a Sunday. Um, if they're really brave, they may shake some hands at the door. Um, but most of the time, they'll be whisked off into the back cave uh, at the end of the service and, and prepped for, you know, maybe service number two, three and four. Yes, um, yes. Before heading out to their speaking engagements and, and stuff like that, too. Um, yeah, that that I think is very telling. I, I think it's so subtle with all this it started with a protestant emphasis you know and i'm talking about the reformation emphasis on you know the word of god and or it goes back even further i mean it, it it starts with sunday morning being a gathering and this emphasis on the eucharist on on communion together fellowship which then in the reformation this emphasis on preaching but this morphs and morphs and morphs and now it's this production you mm -hmm. know 
it's turned into a, a production. Just the fact that we call it the stage. I mean, in most churches, it's referred to as the stage, which not to pick over words, but I think it's telling. Um, it's yeah. this big production and the yeah. pastor is the celebrity. You know, mm -hmm. he's the he's the guy to, you know, bring in the crowds and, and you better be good at it. Yeah. Well, and I think also there is something um, it, as a participant in the crowd, um, it, you know, very much the church is built around what the church does for, for the participant too. Um, so if I get to go to a, uh, if I get to go to a show on a Sunday morning, um, I get to hear a great talk. I get to experience good music. Uh, my kids are taken care of by exciting young people in a kids and youth program. Uh, I get served coffee and donuts. Um, I, I, I get to I get to get a lot, and the only thing that's probably expected from me is uh, that I tithe, that I give money uh, to the church. That's probably the only expectation that's put on me. So I think for me, it you know it it is so divorced from the idea that I see in the New Testament that we're called to make disciples. That that model of doing church for me. Uh, doesn't make disciples because again like you were saying with the shepherd the shepherd is amongst the sheep uh to be able to disciple someone um you have to have relationships with them you have to be amongst them and with them and doing life together um i think i've used the example in this podcast you and i first used this example when we were talking about uh, community groups but the idea of discipleship with the changing the tire example yeah. you know again you know kid needs to know how to change a tire you could give them a book on it give them a great presentation on it um you could uh, run a course a really fancy program where they could learn to change a tire um and that that typically is what the kind of church does now or you get down with them and and show them together shoulder to shoulder how to yeah. change a tire and you may need to do that a couple of times yeah no yeah, yeah and right yeah. now and right now the things we're talking about i just you know that that if that is what we are called to do as Christians and that's what the church should be doing, then even right now, we've just talked about leadership, you know, right now leadership doesn't seem to be set up to allow that to happen. Yes. Yeah. That's a huge one. The new Testament's emphasis, if it's good, the word leader only, I think only occurs in Hebrews, um, the book of Hebrews um, as a reference to the, the um, examples or the, spiritual mothers and fathers or whatever in the church. Um, so again, we're obsessed with that word leader. It's a, it's a cottage industry in America and, and in the church about leadership. But even when it does talk about leadership in Hebrews, the emphasis throughout the New Testament and in Hebrews is on setting an example. Um, you know, set an example for the flock, it directly says. How, the only example most congregants get from their pastor, if, if it was going to be a well. You know, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, if you're going to imitate your pastor, gee, what, what is he modeling that you get? Well, he, he models public speaking. <laughs> and so are we all called to be public speakers? I don't think so. Um, so you, you never see the guy. Like, you, you don't actually see his life. You don't really know him. There's no actual modeling going on. Um, Jesus lived among his disciples. They watched him day in and day out. Um, interacting with people he actually modeled paul modeled um, the christian life he didn't just again he didn't just give out commands and teach a bunch of stuff and walk away he, like to use your example yeah they watched him change tires they saw it happen 
-hmm. And you have to have access, which also points to another issue is, is I think is the American obsession with big, with size and numbers. Um, and so that again, all in the name of, you know, the Great Commission or whatever, it, it, but it's still, it's depersonalized. The Great Commission, you know, going to all the nations, first of all, it's a go, go out. It's not a come here, it's a go out, but it's also a concern for people, not, it, somehow that translates into our heads into lots of people showing up on a Sunday morning when it's such, such so much richer than that. It's making disciples of all the nations does not translate into lots of butts and seats, you know, on a Sunday morning. Um, and so this worship of the big, and then the job is done. You know, we, we've got them in the building. Yeah. You know. And the job and the job with that as well, the job is only done by the, the few as well. So yeah. the, the, the job of making disciples is this idea that we put on the show and that hopefully you guys will invite someone or they'll just walk off the street because they've heard about a great show. Yeah. So again, it's that idea that the, the Great Commission, this idea to go and make disciples, is only given to those that are uh, good-looking, can wear tight jeans, and are great public speakers, and have some musical talent. Yeah. <laughs> so people up on stage. So and yeah. obviously, obviously it, it, it isn't like that, too. And that, for me, is that idea of, of professionalism within the church, too. Yeah. It's this idea that, you know, we have this one guy, and he's a great speaker, so no one else can ever speak. We have this one guy that's a great musician and he will do music and no one else will do music. And there's this idea of professionalism so that there's this like glass ceiling within the church. So if you attend a church, you, you'll you never you'll never grow to be uh, someone that teaches the Bible because there isn't that, that, that role's too, that's role's already taken. And there yeah. isn't space. There isn't space for two people at the top. Um, yeah. There's yeah. only space for one person at the top. Yeah. So unless you're, you know, so if you're a, a young Christian and you're growing and you feel like you've been given gifts to lead or teach, then eventually what's going to happen is you're either going to be locked into running a program and having your own little field somewhere in the church to play in, or you end up going to leave the church and go somewhere else where you feel like you can have a bigger field. So there's this like ceiling yes. uh, to discipleship. Um, I think the great example I think of is, he talked about the the shepherd and sheep analogy. I think about the family analogy. Uh, yeah. So the the church being a family, yeah. and we have those um, you know mature in Christ uh, who are kind of the parents, those that are, are new, growing as as kids, and this idea that um, as you disciple people, they they grow in their maturity, and and so there's this idea in the church that there's these you know the dysfunctional picture is we have these parents as pastors. And then we have all the adult children living in the basement still. And, and we don't want them to move out because they're paying rent. Um, so, but, but we have these, you know, the, these adult children that, and, and, you know, if you go and talk to those adult children, they talk about, oh, I've received such great teaching over the years. The programs are good. I love our pastors. They're amazing. Um, but they themselves are not putting into practice what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple maker. They don't yeah. see their own responsibility happening. Yeah. I have a, I'm going to read something sure. uh, here. Um, it, it, we, we, uh, um, we get together, you know, weekly as pastors, you know, in our church, um, it, uh, 
me and the other couple, my wife and the other couple. And we go over stuff to try to, these sorts of things to keep ourselves, because, you know, we've been doing this for years this other way. And so trying to uh, deprogram ourselves. Anyway, um, our reading yesterday uh, in Eugene Peterson, I think just nails it. And I'm just going to read this one excerpt. Um, <laughs> it just says everything we just said. He goes, I said that I don't often use devil language, but it seems appropriate in a setting like this, that a key strategy of the devil in the present generation is to destroy congregations. One obvious element in his strategy seems to be to, to glamorize big, tempt every pastor and congregation to admire and covet and build bigger barns. As king number is worshiped, baptismal names erode into statistics. The very place given to us by the Spirit, where our stories can be known and prayed and develop into a community story, a kingdom story, becomes the place where stories are destroyed by programs and particular people, and particular people, especially the marginal, are pushed deeper and deeper into anonymity. Conversations get drowned out by motivational propaganda. Relationships become depersonalized into programmatic involvement with a vision or a cause. All the time this is happening, the vocabulary and the rhetoric are entirely Christian, biblical, evangelical. The devil is careful not to tamper with what is said or written. That might set off alarm among the heresy hunters. But by destroying the congregation as congregation, the congregations who fail to be big languish in self-pity, or fester in envy, no longer able to see what the Spirit is doing right there and then. And the congregations who succeed in becoming big, in the excitement of being part of a winning team or organization, develop a huge case of amnesia regarding trivial peripheral concerns like the cross of Jesus, the sacrificial life, the mystery of the resurrection, and the least of these. The Bible is no longer read as a text for living prayerfully and obediently, the full spectrum of the human condition and the staggering wonders of the revelation of God, but is advertised as the world's bestseller collection of bumper sticker slogans, happy face promises, and seven-step moralisms that can give you everything that is worth knowing in the Bible without having to bother reading it. <laughs> so what you're saying, Dave, is I should have interviewed Eugene Peterson. Yes, that. <laughs> yes, yes. That, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. that's that's no, that's great. It's a really good kind of summary too, and I think I think it would be good for us to kind of uh, move on because I think this this area of the dysfunction of of the American church we it is a bottomless uh, yes. bottomless pit basically. I think there's so many things um, that 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 we could talk about. There's so many things we just haven't touched on in the brief time we've been talking about. I know that there is a lot of people um, like me that are feeling so disillusioned with church and there's lots of people listening that have been hurt uh, by church they've been hurt by uh, poor leadership uh, they've been hurt by um, the the culture of the church that that teaches love but doesn't practice it yeah. um, I think there was these there was these six signs of a toxic church um, mm. that I read and and I think this this is six things that I would agree with on top of what we talked about. Um, so one was that the politicians win. Everything is about politics, uh, even within the church. So any uh, decision that's made in the church is driven by, by politics. Like uh, whether church, the, church politics. Church politics 
and national politics. Okay, both these days, yeah. <laughs> both yeah, these yeah. days, yeah. Um, what is said publicly is different from what is said privately. Wow. Um, wow. So again, oftentimes what's said from up front or from the stage is not necessarily private uh, practice behind the scenes. And anyone that's been in any type of leadership within a church, we always joke about seeing behind the curtain. Uh, yeah. It is very disillusioning. Uh, if you get into a position of leadership and you see behind the curtain, um, unfortunately, what's behind the curtain, when you see the Wizard of Oz, it can be very uh, disillusioning because it yes. doesn't match with necessarily what's been, been set up front. Yes, how the sausage is made, yes. Yeah. So number three, you deal with conflict by talking about people, not to people. Mm. Um, so you talk about people that are the problem, you know, whoever it is, Oh, the young people, the millennials are the problem, the yeah, boomers wow. are the problem, yeah. um, but you don't actually engage uh, with those people. Um, yeah. Church fights are normal. So fighting within the church is normal. And, and those are fights about what type of coffee is served, fights about the music, about the carpet color, about the chairs. Uh, the, the conflict is, is inward focused and about trivial matters. Trivial, yeah. Um, and then there's an entrenched them and us mentality. Um, the idea that we're inside the church, everyone else is outside of the church. Once you're in, it's us versus them, us versus the world. We are God's chosen special people. The world is a dangerous, scary place. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll wait for them to cross, come to us. Yeah. Um, but again, conflict with the world. And we see that, that again in America right now, very much um, driven by by political cultural views too is that yeah. them versus us there's a yeah, war taking war. place culture wars uh, number six no one takes responsibility and mm. the final one no one takes responsibility it's someone else's fault it's not my fault it's not my problem um so either the blame is attributed to a lead pastor the blame can be attributed to associate pastors not enough programs um if you've been to a church meeting you'll hear people say things like we just don't have enough events for young people or you know we need to have better music to attract in young families or whatever, whatever it is. It's definitely not, it's not on the individual. Um, yeah. 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 About changes. So all of this, where'd you get that list? Where did I get that list? Yeah. <laughs> a good list, man. It's a good list. Oh, good. 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 Google. Google's great for lists. <laughs> yeah, that's a good list. Oh, it's very good. Oh man. You could do a, you could do a podcast on each item. That, that. Uh, yeah, no, you could do. You could do. Um, so I think people in my situation right now, we're really struggling to uh, this this disillusionment. It's 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 crippling uh, in terms of what do we what do we do? Like what 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 are kind of the next steps that we take? Um, like I, I think for me personally, you know, we've had this year of COVID. Um, and people are just kind of returning back to church now. And I was talking to a friend just yesterday and just saying, there isn't much about church that I miss. Like, I don't miss it. I, I miss I miss some friendships, but I don't miss uh, being part of, um, of the established church. And on top of that, too, um, with some of the cultural stuff we talked about, sometimes I find it hard from a missional point of view. And I'm thinking about my friends that that aren't Christians, when they ask me questions about kind of the evangelical culture, I find it hard to have my name attached to an organization um, that has really publicly aligned itself with um, certain political yeah. ways of thinking. 
Um, so a good example, Dave, I mean, I'm happy this is our podcast, so I can be controversial. So, um, so you know, in the last year, we've had things like um, we've had the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, we've had the 2020 elections. Um, mm. Both those things have been very polarizing in this country. And oftentimes, the way that the church has publicly come out has been very offensive and off-putting to, to people. Um, you know, people could accuse the church of of being a place where you can hold whatever views you want you can hold views on race uh, you could be racist you can hold views on conspiracy theories and the church is a safe haven because no one at the church is going to speak truth into those situations um and or alternatively they're going to fully embrace um those ideas because it matches the kind of yeah. Um, right conservative arena of culture so it leaves me in a place where I'm like do I want to be even involved uh, with an organization that represents those values and I know I'm not the only one that feels that way so Dave what is 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 it time to burn the church down what what do we what do we do um what did you do (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's I mean first I gotta say I get the sentiment like I it's I I I'm with you on the just the embarrassment of and the sadness the grief the anger I would feel particularly in terms of witness just feeling like uh, just being set back I mean I've always had a heart for all my years you know for, I just want people to know Jesus I mean whether they know whether they've come to Christ or not you know I just want people to move closer to Jesus and when I see I found that the biggest obstacle to that is has often been God's people, not not the world itself. It's God's people that have often gotten away. Going all the way back to the weird group I I belong to. I mean that damaged so many people, and then I've seen the damage done now over the years um, through the evangelical church, um, and so it's very upsetting. Um, and the temptation to quote want to burn it down. Here's where I get here's where I draw the line though and, and get stuck that like I, if I'm going to be a Christian, like what the question becomes, what is the it? Because we, and we get into the, what is the church? And the minute we talk about burning it down, well, then we're, we're buying into the definition of the church as these buildings and organizations and all that, when that isn't the def, the church is the people. Now that doesn't make the problem go away because it is the people that are the problem. <laughs> But these are people for whom Christ died. And the minute I now set myself against the church, per se, as the new boogeyman, now I've got my new us versus them. Now I'm right, and they're all wrong, and now I'm going to burn them down, and we're back to tribalistic, you know. We just keep dividing, and and the gospel is supposed to break through all that. Um, Now, that doesn't mean... There isn't some place for truth and like we got to deal with these issues. These, these things need to be called out. But the the thing that makes the gospel different and the reason I'm so sad at the way God's people are carrying themselves is because they've forgotten um, that the answer or the, what Jesus did was is he he came in and he ended up dying for his people. Like if you look at the history of Israel, like history of Israel is like the church. I mean, they fail, they fail, they fail. And by the, 
at the worst of it, God says to in Ezekiel, you know, the, 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 my name has been blasphemed among the nations because of you. You know, you have made me look terrible. You were supposed to be a light to the nations and you have completely failed. This is all Old Testament. This is before he comes and into their midst, becomes one of them and dies for them. And so um, he never gives up. I mean, he has strong words. It's not, I'm not saying we shouldn't have podcasts like this and <laughs> call these things out. But he, in the end, doesn't burn them down. He dies for them. And, and so the... But I think to get practical about that, I don't, I just don't want to do what the, what every, what everybody's doing, which is keep having wars of words and making these, these blanket general crowd condemning. I mean, yes, we can make blanket statements and I've made them today about the American church and what's wrong with it. Mm -hmm. But what do I do about it? I go connect with individual people because it's fascinating when I, my church is filled with everything. I've got everything from Trump haters to Trump lovers, okay? And, but when you draw up close to that and everything in between, I'm not, it's, it gets really complex, but these are real people um, that need to be met where they are and shepherded and Jesus died for them and discipleship with them looks like discipleship with anybody. And nobody's outside God's love. And I can't get worried about fixing all of America. I just have to deal with the few in front of me and not make distinctions mm -hmm. um, and, and involve myself in their life and help them take those little steps. Um, that doesn't sound real radical and like it's going to change everything, but that's the biggest criticism you could make of Jesus, that he spent all his time, most of his time with 12, you know, bungling ragtag, you know, morons. <laughs> I mean, those, those guys, <laughs> they weren't exactly impressive. Um, but that's how he did it. And do we believe that that's how it's done or do we not? Um, so I can't, so it's a tension because I'm not saying that let's ignore all this stuff, but what did Jesus do with a tax collector and a zealot and a Peter, you know, and a Judas? Like he had to deal with them all right where they were and move them, you know, move them slowly along. Um, the preaching to the crowds seemed to do very little, but the time spent with those 12 ended up changing the world. Mm -hmm. And so that's what, um, that's, that's, that's what, that, so answer to the problem of the church is be the church and pastors go back to being pastors and make it personal, keep it, keep it accessible, um, get involved with people's lives, meet them in their messiness, even the ones that you completely disagree with, believers and non-believers, um, and love, you know, love them and in that context, deal in truth. Okay, Andy, there we go. Part one. Part one's finished. Hey, so. you know what, James? That was very... I know that we both like our 80s films and stuff like that. That was very uh, Empire Strikes Back-like. You know, we you have left us. It's all dark and depressed, and we don't know whether there's any hope. 
hope coming. Yeah. But but you, you're promising promising us there's that next week there's there's hope coming, right? Uh, possibly, yes, possibly. <laughs> I, I don't want to promise too much. Uh, I'm trying to think of a two-parter. The best two-parter I can think of that's recent memories: the the Infinity War. Uh, yeah. So you know yeah. where all the heroes turn to dust. I, massive spoiler if you haven't seen that film. I'm <laughs> well, sorry, I, I can't. I can't even edit that out. It's too late. I've spoiled yeah, it. Too late. Yeah. So yeah, the church, the heroes of the church have turned to dust. So so what now? <laughs> so hey, but that was, it was it was like I said. I think in in our little intro, I listened to that in the supermarket and. And it was, you know, I, it could be uncomfortable listening uh, for for lots of people, but I think we do need to to try and call out some of the elephants in the room um, about, you know, what it is we're doing uh, when we meet together uh, to church. To church, are we doing shows? Or are we doing discipleship? Um, yeah. So yeah, thanks, James. It's really good. I, yeah, I, I, good. I really enjoyed those good. six. Yeah. Uh, your your six, whatever it is that you stole off Google. The toxic steps that I stole from Google. Yeah. 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 So um, yeah, and next week I think we'll we'll spend some time. So part two next week is a lot shorter because you know hope is you talk about hope a lot quicker than. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as fun no so next next week we'll spend some more time kind of discussing some of our thoughts and, mm. and kind of the fallout from it too you know there is one thing andy i would say about the interview that that um dave used a lot of christianese and i didn't have my sound effect board yet oh, to, to, yeah. to play it on him so there's certain words he used like associate pastor i wondered if people would know associate pastor what that was i have no idea what that is either uh, exactly uh, associate pastor is is like a <laughs> underling it's like not the yeah. not the top dog. It's like someone yeah. joining a ministry. And then he also he said the another one was church growth movement, the church oh growth word. movement. Again, yeah. so so just so people know, the church growth movement was this idea that the focus of the church, the organization, should be about growth, about maximizing mm. the number of people uh, coming yeah. along to your service. So anyway, so there was there was a couple of yeah a couple of good ones in there. So if anything came up that he said. And you're like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Feel free to send us an email yeah. to, uh, to the a... far shore at uh, reviveinternational.net. Uh, we'd love to, love to answer your questions. That sounds good, James. Well, thanks, guys, for tuning in to part one. Thanks to Dave. And we're looking forward to next week uh, for part two. And we'll see you on the far shore then. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at thefarshore at reviveinternational.net. To learn more about the work of Revive International, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, revive-international.org. Please subscribe to keep track of new episodes. We look forward to you joining us on our next journey being called to the far shore.